Welcome to Poets and Writers. We have a great show for you today, and we have someone who is well-read. Many of you know him from Abingdon, Virginia, and many of you know him in his civic activities. We have Lee Saunders on, or around here we say Lee Sanders. But Lee, welcome to the show, and is it okay if I call you Lee Saunders, or what do you prefer? Well, Lee is fine. Lee Saunders, I think, is appropriate. Just don't call me late for dinner. Okay. All right, Lee, you've been on the show Gosh, probably 14 years ago. So Mm. we want to talk with you about books today, and you have read so much. So I'm going to start in, of course. We know where you're from, a little bit about it. You came from, uh, talk just briefly about your personal history. Well, I uh, was born and grew up uh, in New Jersey, and uh, I left for Wake Forest University. I was there for about three years, and then uh, this was about 1967, 1968, I think. I uh, decided to take a sabbatical, uh, which meant that I dropped out to uh, join the Marine Corps. I felt that I had an obligation, and uh, as, uh, as a result of that, I, uh, I left 21 years later, but I had been able to acquire my baccalaureate degree from Pepperdine University, mm-hmm. as well as a, an MS uh, Master of Science in Systems Management from the University of Southern California. And uh, that was uh, paid for by the United States government. And um, I'm very thankful for the assistance that I got with uh, the GI Bill. I never would have been able to have afforded it otherwise. But for me, graduate school was just very, very enjoyable. Uh, I got out of the Marine Corps, I guess, in oh, 1989. And I uh, got involved in the insurance business and a few other things. My parents came down from New Jersey. My dad was a, um, had been with, the, with Bell Laboratories, which was the preeminent uh, science uh, institution uh, at the time. And he and my mother decided that they would come down to Abington. They'd come down here many times before they built a home, I think in about 1983, 1984. Long story short, I'd been down to Abington myself many times. They'd always gotten me tickets to the Barter Theater. Mm -hmm. And uh, in any event, in uh, 2001, shortly after the terrorist attacks, my mother had fallen on the driveway and broken her kneecap. I found out about it, and I flew out the very next day. I paid cash, one-way ticket, and I immediately became a suspect. Uh, which worked out well for me because I was the first one on the uh, plane and the first one to uh, exit the plane. But they had written a great big S on my ticket for suspect. How about that? How uh, about that? And you spent, because you, you left Wake Forest in what year was that? I'm, because, you know, we're very familiar here with yeah. Wake Forest, Emory. We're coming to you from the Emory and Henry College campus, but I know Wake Forest. Well, both schools were founded Mm -hmm. in the same year, 1836. 1836. And you were at Wake in what years? Oh, good Uh, Lord. Uh, 1960s? (laughs) Uh, Well, yeah, mid-1960s up through about 68, so three years from that would be uh, fairly close. Okay, well, we have Lee Saunders on today, and I'm going to move directly into books because if you talk to Lee, you will be talking about reading. He's well known as a 
teacher around here, too, over at Virginia Highlands Community College. And so, Lee, I'd ask you about your top 10 must-reads that you're going to leave us with here today. But also, here comes Lee in with to the studio here on campus, WEHC 90.7, and he has all these books. And, of course, he has the two-volume series that Mark Twain helped publish on Grant. So that's uh, I'd never seen the first edition of that, so thank you so much for that. But he also handed me a copy of West with Night, so talk a little bit and talk a little bit about the author, Lee. Yeah, Burl Markham was a young girl uh, born in uh, Britain. Her father was a retired army captain who bought a um, some property down in Kenya, which at the time was uh, British uh, East Africa. And he uh, was in the horse, uh, racing horse business, uh, raising horses, training horses. His daughter, Burl, was four years of age at the time. And... Um, she was a rather adventurous uh, girl, to say the least. Uh, she would go out and hunt wild boar, uh, for example, very young age. Uh, she eventually became a, uh, a racehorse trainer herself and then acquired a, uh, a bush pilot's uh, certification. She was uh, flying uh, de Havilland Moss, which was a biplane, scouting for safaris looking for elephants and, and wild game, which he would uh, report in. And uh, in any event, a wonderful aviator, evidently. She had 2,000 hours of flight time when she decided in 1936 that she was going to fly across the Atlantic. Not the usual direction, which would have been from uh, west to east with prevailing winds, but from Abington, England, hopefully, to land in New York City. She didn't quite make it. Uh, she got as far as uh, Nova Scotia. She had to crash land because of freezing weather. Ice had uh, clogged up the vents in her fuel tank, and consequently, there was fuel starvation. And uh, she had been in the air for about 20 hours. She uh, was sighted by two ships coming in very low and very fast. But she survived the... Uh, she went into a peat bog, and I think there may be a picture on the back of that book. You can see the... Oh, absolutely. Uh, yeah, it doesn't look good to me. That's, that's West, <laughs> with, West with the night. West with the night. She uh, was up against uh, terrible weather. Uh, she had to fly by instruments and, uh, again, against prevailing winds, which slowed her speed down and consumed more and more fuel. She had a... Her plane had a, uh, a single engine, a single engine plane, no radio, no radio. Incredible. She was about 32 or 33 at the time. At any rate, she wrote her memoirs in 1942. The sales were modest and then completely faded. Then what happened was a wealthy restaurateur in uh, Los Angeles came across some letters written by Ernest Hemingway who praised Markham effusively, hmm. and that stirred his curiosity, and the net result was they got her book republished. At the time, she was in her early 80s. She was still working, training racehorses, but living in virtual poverty. The republication stimulated sales, and she was able to live out the remaining years of her life in relative comfort. Well, I'm reading from the back cover, and this uh, her book, her memoirs would have been published about when, Lee? Uh, 
Well, the initial mm-hmm. the initial publication mm-hmm. was 1942, and I'm not sure if the war uh, okay. had any effect on uh, on publications, uh, okay. paper, and that sort of thing. Okay, but on the back here, it's from a letter to Maxwell Perkis, Perkins, and of course we all familiar with Maxwell Perkins, Thomas Wolfe, Ernest Hemingway, and on Scott and on. Fitzgerald, yeah. absolutely, and uh, Hemingway is praising this book and says. And you got to read this. I wish you would get it and read it because it is really a bloody wonderful book. Ernest Hemingway, thank you so much for bringing this into the studio here today at Emory and Henry College Campus, WEHC 90.7, Lee Saunders, because I had recalled something about this woman, but not a great deal. And I think, you know, we look at this in the context of history, not too many women were flying, right, Lee? Uh, she was among the first. She yeah. was an earlier, an early aviator, along with uh, Amelia Earhart, who, of course, was uh, perhaps better known. But yeah, as a matter of fact, uh, very daring, uh, no question about it. And uh, uh, she was a, um, how would I describe her? She was not a conformist, not by any mm-hmm. stretch of the imagination, married three times sure. with multiple, multiple um, relationships, yes. affairs, yes. Um, very active social life. As a matter of fact, she was very familiar with the people there in Happy Valley, uh, that part of Kenya, which was uh, infamous uh, for scandals, uh, heavy drinking, infidelity, uh, drugs, that sort of thing. I don't think she was a part of it, but she was certainly familiar with people like Karen Blixen. Okay, we could say that she lived her life to the fullest. I think we could uh, say that. Now, I want to get you on these your top ten. You have read so much, and we've mm-hmm. discussed this over the years. I run into you on the Virginia Creeper Trail, and we'll talk. Give us your top ten must-reads, Lee Saunders, today on Poets right. and Writers. Let me simply offer one correction. There is no way that I can come up with my top ten. Okay. Uh, let's enough. just say it's... 10 out of at least 100 okay. that I would count. <laughs> but uh, here's what I said, I, and let me just, I, I won't read through all of this, but I'll touch on a, a few things. Henry, these are 10 personal book selections of mine, none of which are intended to impress. These are works that I would select to reread if I were to spend the next 10 years on a deserted island or in a prison cell. So I had to be very careful about the, the very few books that I would be able to take with me. And I had to cheat a little bit. In fact, like Emeritus of Classics at Princeton University, these two books total 28,000 lines of Homeric poetry. It took me a full year to get through these two books. I spent half my time in the glossary. And I did my reading in a gym. That surprises a lot of people, but I found that I could read, oh, maybe 50 or 75 lines of poetry, and then I'd go out and do some reps, come back, read some more, and as a result, I turned into a very strong reader. There was a prose version, which I also read by Samuel Butler, 1899-1901, and uh, again, a very satisfying alternative for, for readers as well. So that was my first selection. My second was a historical uh, series, Winston Churchill's six-volume personal history of the Second World War. I had purchased these six volumes, and this is the first edition to come out, which preceded the London edition. 
And uh, I had the books, I think, on my shelf for six, seven, eight years before I decided that, all right, now's the time, got to do it. I've got to tell you, it was one of the most extraordinary experiences I've had. Churchill was a superb writer, and he was the only one of the World War II leaders who actually wrote about his personal perspective, the only one. Next, military memoirs of the 19th century. This would be U.S. Grant's personal memoirs of the Civil War and preceding that, the Mexican-American War. He touched uh, on his uh, early life only for maybe 15 or 16 pages, said absolutely nothing at all about the presidency. Uh, His work, his personal memoirs, dealt exclusively with his uh, perspective of how the Civil War was conducted. I've got the first first editions, first printing, uh, volume 1, uh, 1885, second volume, 1886. And I've got to tell you, this thing was written in beautiful, unadorned language. And again, I was reluctant to get into it, but it was a wonderful experience for me. And my appreciation of Grant uh, just went through the roof. A tremendous individual, wonderful human being. And, uh, you know, the interesting thing has been that uh, when I was going to school, Grant was always said to have been one of our worst American presidents. But that's because in the 1930s, many of our historians were from the South and very much disagreed with his support for the Reconstruction. And so consequently, his approval rating just sank. Uh, Since then, there have been numerous biographers who have changed that. His numbers continue to go up, 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 and up. But he, along with Lincoln, were two of the most extraordinary individuals to emerge uh, during that terrible time, the American Civil War. Next one, historical fiction series. I selected Patrick O'Brien's 20-volume set, and uh, this tells the, about the exploits of a British Royal Navy captain, Jack Aubrey, and his ship surgeon, also an intelligence officer, Stephen Maturin. This was during the era of the Napoleonic Wars. And again, I was very reluctant to get into this, except for the reviews that I had read, which were absolutely superlative. Uh, More on this perhaps a little bit later. Next, in the uh, private detective crime series, who else but Raymond Chandler's uh, Philip Marlowe books. And uh, there were six, seven, eight of these, as a matter of fact, very stylishly written uh, back in the 1940s, 1950s. And it deals with a a detective, a uh, Philip Marlowe, who described himself as the tarnished knight. He said, and I quote, I was clean, I was well-dressed, I was shaved, and I was sober, and I didn't care who knew. Uh, It gives you a little touch of of the Philip Marlowe character. Uh, next, most entertaining play, Cyrano de Bergerac. I reread that every three or four years. It is absolutely my favorite uh, play, uh, written by Edmund Rostin, uh, 1897. And uh, panache is the word that probably best describes and even self-describes Cyrano de Bergerac. He was a uh, figure from the uh, 17th century, a duelist and a poet. And interestingly enough, the uh, 
The one singular trait about Cyrano was the size of his heroic nose, and it certainly impeded his uh, romantic pursuit of the beautiful Roxanne. Wonderful, wonderful play, written in verse, written in verse. Uh, Next, one of my favorite uh, 19th century French novels, Les Miserables. Again, I was very reluctant to get into it, but I was fascinated by this work. Victor Hugo's book was turned out to be a worldwide bestseller. And interestingly enough, during the American Civil War, Confederate troops carried this five-volume novel in their knapsacks, and they referred to the title as Lee's Miserables, completely mispronounced, but caught the caught the tone quite well. Fastest read in Western literature, no question about it, uh, The Count of Monte Cristo by Alexander Dumas. And I got to tell you a little story about Dumas. When I was about 12 years old, I was listening to a radio program. It was something like Beat the Clock, where a contestant was asked a question, had 60 seconds to come up with the correct answer. Well, of course, the pressure Uh, is immediately applied when you hear the ticking of the clock. The question that was was asked of a woman who was obviously from Brooklyn was, who wrote The Three Musketeers? And she kept saying, oh, I know, it's on the tip of my tongue, it's on the tip of my tongue. And then with about 10 or 12 seconds later, she says, oh, I know, it was Alexander Dumbass. Oh, my goodness gracious. D-U-M-A-S. Of course, the French pronounce it a little bit differently, Dumas, but at 12 years of age, I was convinced that this was the correct pronunciation. Uh, She won whatever she had uh, been uh, attempting to uh, to answer in order to get the money. So, Count of Monte Cristo, and it's a revenge novel. It's a revenge novel, one of the best ever written. And then finally, Truman, which was a wonderful 1992 biography by David McCullen, who died August of last year, as a matter of fact, the recipient of two well, we know Pulitzer, Pulitzer Prizes. Absolutely. Yeah, one, one for Adams, John Adams, mm-hmm. and the one preceding that, which was for Truman. Absolutely. We're talking with Lee Saunders today here on Poets and Writers, and many of you know he is a reader and a great teacher as well. He's listing and just listed his top ten. ten. Did, we, did we get all of them, Lee? Did I? We got them all. Okay, now I want to back up just a little bit. Some of these I've read, and some of them I've tried to read, and some of them I have not read, Lee. <laughs> but I'll tell you what, gosh, the Iliad and the Odyssey and so forth. I'm going to spot check with you a little bit in conversation here. All right, you mentioned Harry Truman, and that's mm. McCullough's book yes. that many of us know, or at least have some have read. And I we talked about this earlier here in the studio. How about this idea of why the bomb was dropped? You know, um, we currently, there's a movie out now and so forth, and why, uh, who dropped it and who invented it and so forth. Talk a little bit about Truman and, and why he dropped the bomb. Absolutely. Um, the United States dropped two atomic bombs on Japan. The first one uh, was on Hiroshima. This was August 6, 1945. Uh, The second uh, was at Nagasaki three days later on the 9th. But this was after early warnings were ignored by the Japanese government. The best estimates of the number of Japanese civilians killed runs from a low of about 110,000 to a high of 210,000, and nobody will ever really know precisely what the number killed were. 
but uh, Japan surrendered six days after the second bomb. Now, I've got to point out that during World War II, the Japanese military murdered 30 million civilians in the Far East, 23 million of whom were ethnic Chinese. Uh, These numbers far exceeded those uh, murdered in the Holocaust by Nazi Germany. Again, by a ratio of 5 to 1, 30 million versus 6 million. Had the United States opted not to drop the two bombs to end the war and had instead invaded the Japanese home islands, the war would have likely extended for another 18 months. Uh, This according to our War Department and also according to their statistics, their estimates, would have resulted in the deaths of 400,000 to 800,000 allied fatalities. It's also estimated that somewhere between 5 and 10 million Japanese, many of them civilians, would have perished as well had we invaded the home islands. Truman had a total of uh, four options. The two others were, uh, one, to continue with conventional bombing, which had not worked, in particular the, the raids on Tokyo, the firebombing, which took somewhere between 80 thousand and 140,000 civilians, uh, or demonstrating the A-bomb's effectiveness on a desert island. Uh, A fourth option was later considered by some people, why not blockade Japan? This was never seriously considered. It was felt that it would take at least a year and a half, maybe two years, maybe even longer, if it were even effective to begin with. Now, the total of American dead were missing in the war against Japan totaled over 111,000 U.S. servicemen. I don't think that Truman had any other choice. I mean, his choices were somewhere uh, between bad and worse. Mm -hmm. But at any rate, this decision to drop the bomb was not only a military decision, it was a political decision. We had ended the war in Europe. We had thousands and thousands of American servicemen uh, returning this country. How many of them would have been deployed from Europe to the, uh, to the Far East, to the uh, Pacific Theater? What would have happened had we not dropped the bombs? I can tell you that if the American people had found out that we had bombs that were capable of stunning, shocking Japan into surrendering and had not used those bombs, how long would this war have gone on? How many additional casualties? Absolutely. Thank you, Lee Saunders, for sharing that with us. And of course, your background in the military, your background as a U.S. citizen and a leader, certainly in this area, as well as around the country, gives us a perspective. And the book I was trying to think of, of in the, uh, was Oppenheimer, right? That's the latest uh, scientist uh, who came up with, uh, with the scheme for the bomb. And, and it's, uh, that's, you've really helped uh, me understand that. Thank you for those figures. As we move along here today, gee, we have so much to talk about. I want to go back. You mentioned Grant. I wanted to go back to Grant just a little bit and have you talk about that as we move along here on Poets and Writers. Ulysses S. Grant. Grant is one of my very favorite American uh, generals and one of my very favorite presidents. He was really not equipped for the presidency, uh, no question about it. Uh, He did not have the political connections that we would ordinarily expect uh, from from uh, from American presidents, he was a an American general, 
And uh, I can tell you that he developed a very close personal relationship with Abraham Lincoln. Mm -hmm. And I would say that uh, Grant, along with Sherman, were largely responsible for securing Lincoln's second term. Okay. Um, no question about that. Uh, the Americans, uh, the, uh, the North needed a victory, and that's what Grant and Sherman provided with a march through Georgia. Thank you so much for bringing this two-volume series in today. It's a first edition. It's certainly a collector's item, and you told me about very, uh, as we move along here on the show, you told me about where you bought these two volumes. How'd you come across them? Well, uh, the first one was acquired by my mother in the mid-1950s for 25 cents. It was at a book fair, and uh, she probably overpaid, judging from the condition of the book. It was in terrible, terrible shape. Uh, but that was volume one, 1885, first printing, first edition, out of, uh, what, 335,000 mm-hmm. sets uh, sold within a three-year period of time uh, after the initial mm-hmm. publication. It wasn't until after I arrived here in, in Abington, and this must have been about 15 years ago, I came across uh, volume two. Now, it it's very close to the first volume. This was... Uh, both volumes bound in green, both volumes in terrible shape. And what I did was I uh, sent both volumes to a uh, bookbinding company, which was Cattail Run mm-hmm. Hand Bindings wow. in Winchester, Virginia. They did a superb job of reconditioning the books, and I'm very proud to have both of these books on my my shelves. Well, I want to thank you for bringing them to the studio today here on Poets and Writers, WEHC 90.7. Lee Saunders, could you very quickly read your top 10, just the titles, one more time as we close out the show today? I'll be more than happy to read very, very quickly. (laughs) Yeah, Um, we've got them here, and he's talked about some of them, and we could probably talk for three hours. All right, here we go. Number one, classical work, uh, translations of the Iliad and the Odyssey. 28,000 lines of Homeric poetry. Number two, the historical series. This was Winston Churchill's six-volume personal history of the Second World War. He was awarded a Nobel Prize. Military memoirs. We just touched on U.S. Grant's personal memoirs of the Civil War, two volumes. Number four, historical fiction series. Patrick O'Brien's 20-volume set, uh, written over a 30-year period of time. Private Detective Crime Series, Raymond Chandler's Philip Marlowe Books. Most Entertaining Play, from my perspective, Cyrano de Bergerac. Next, renowned 19th century French novel, Les Miserables, by Victor Hugo, uh, 1862. Fastest Read in Western Literature, The Count of Monte Cristo, by Alexander Dumas. Biography, Truman. And I just now noticed something. I've left out number seven. I've only got nine. (laughs) Put it in there. All right. Well, why don't we just include uh, West Into the Night? Okay. Well, West with the Night. So you have that in there. I don't, but I will. Okay. You left out number seven, so we had nine. So is that all of them now? That's ten now with West Into the Night. Yeah. Absolutely. Lee Saunders, we're going to have you on the show again. We have so much more to talk about. Thank you again for being such a friend and reader and intellect. Thank you so much, Lee. Uh, Delighted. Thank you. 
This is Henry McCarthy saying, do not wait up for me. Do not be afraid to stay or still away. I'm going out to write a poem and watch the children play. Thanks for listening.